Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org friendshipwithgod.org or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Father, thank you so much for your word. It's a mighty word. It's a great word. It's a word that's so personal it comes right from your lips. And we take it personally too. We receive it as from your lips to our hearts, from the lips of God to our hearts. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Genesis 22, verse 15. And the angel of the Lord called unto Abraham out of heaven the second time and said, By myself have I sworn, saith the Lord, for because thou hast done this thing and hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, that in blessing I will bless thee and multiplying I will multiply thy seed as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is upon the seashore. And thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because thou hast obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned unto his young man, and they rose up and went together to Beersheba. And Abraham dwelt at Beersheba, and it was, came to pass after these things that it was told Abraham, saying that Milcah hath also borne children unto thy brother Nahor, who is his firstborn, and Buzz, his brother. Imagine that, two brothers, Huz and Buzz. <laughs> and Kemuel, the father of Aram, and Chesed, and uh, Hazor, and Pildash, and Jidloth, and Bethuel, and Bethuel begat Rebekah, these eight Emilcah bare to Nahor, Abraham's brother, and his, and, and his concubine, whose name was Ruma, she bare Teba and Geham and Tash and Maacah, and Zerah was 107 and 20 years old, 2020 verse 23 verse 1, these were the years of the life of Sarah. And Sarah died in Kirjath Arba, the same as Hebron, in the land of Canaan, and Abraham came to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her, and Abraham stood up from before his dead, and spake unto the sons of Heth, saying, I am a stranger and a sojourner with you. Give me a possession of a burying place with you, that I may bury my dead out of my sight. All right, now, as we leave this section on Abraham sacrificing Isaac, we need to summarize it. We need to look back on it and summarize it and ask the question, what have we been studying? Just in a nutshell, if we were to put it together, and so the goal of God in this subject, in this section, was to come to verses 16 and 18. This is what God wanted to do, to come to verses 16 and 18 and give Abraham the, bla- the great blessing. Now, I don't know how you look at this chapter that starts off with, with some pretty tough words. It came to pass in verse 1 that after these things that God did tempt Abraham, and he said, and so forth. So God did tempt Abraham. It seems a little harsh. It seems a little cruel that God would tempt Abraham, and we know what that temptation was. But Abraham needed to be ready. He needed to be readied by God for the blessing in verses 16 through 18. And for Abraham to be ready for these blessings, he needed to be willing to sacrifice Isaac if he was going to go forward with God. 
And when God saw that Abraham indeed was willing to sacrifice Isaac to go ahead, then God said to Abraham the great blessing of verses 16 and 17, By myself have I sworn, because thou hast done this thing, has not withheld thy son, thine only son, that in blessing I will bless thee, and so forth. And that reminds me of a summer way back in 1982 when I became very preoccupied with sailing. Oh, sailing was fantastic. You know, I'd be powered over the water by the wind and the wind blowing and the waves splashing. And it was wonderful. It was an exhilarating experience. I loved it. And so my wife didn't exactly love it. But, uh, <laughs> but, but I had two captive little boys. And so, you know, I sung to them Christian sailing songs over the sea, over the sea, and so forth. And I got to try to get them really excited in sailing. And that was the summer in, 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 uh, in, in that year. Summer 1982, when we bought our little 14-foot sailboat, which if you want to see, you can come over to our house. It's still there. It's in the garage. It's under a lot of stuff. Last time we had it out was 14 years ago, but it's still there. Anyway, I thought this was going to be great, and I was going to get the boys really excited about sailing. So we went off to, to, to school. We went to the Coast Guard Auxiliary Sailing School down there at Point Loma in the evenings, and we listened, and we had homework. The only problem was the boys kept scoring higher than me in the school tests. And so, but anyway, we, we, we all made it. And, and we bought all the equipment. We bought life preservers and telltales for the sail and survival jackets and compass. And, oh, we were really equipped, you know. And, and I remember one time we, we, we set out from the dock there. We launched a little boat out there at Shelter Island there. And we pointed the nose of the boat away from the wind and, and let the sails out. And the sails immediately filled with wind. And as we shoved off from the dock, we all instinctively, you know what you do, you lean forward because you're going to be moving forward. And we sailed about two feet, and then we came to an abrupt halt like that <laughs> and didn't move anymore. And I thought, what's going on, you know? And so we all turned around, and to our embarrassment, we saw... <laughs> that we had a stern line still tied to the dock, you know. So we looked pretty silly out there. And so, you know, you freeze that picture in your mind. You just freeze that picture in your mind, and you think about how that picture can symbolize the Christian. Expecting to move forward with God, already prepared, reading his Bible daily, having devotions, but all of a sudden, boom, he doesn't move forward. What's the problem? He's still tied to the dock still tied to earth. And God looked at Abraham and said, Abraham, I want you to go forward with God. I've got this great blessing for you. I want to bless you greatly, but I need to know that you're not still tied to the dock. I need to know that you're not tied to Isaac. I, that's why God commanded Abraham to sacrifice Isaac, because God wanted to make sure for Abraham there's no stern line still tied to the earth, still tied to the dock. And before God could bless Abraham, God had to make sure there was nothing that Abraham was overly attached to, like a son, an only son, whom he loved, Isaac. So before God could bless Abraham, he had to make sure that Abraham was ready to part with anything that stood between him and God. That's the reason why the Lord Jesus Christ looked at the rich man in Matthew uh, 19, 21 through 26, and he said, Jesus said unto him, If thou wilt be perfect, go and sell that thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. And when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, Verily I say unto you, 
that a rich man shall hardly enter into the kingdom of heaven. And again, I say unto you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. And when his disciples heard it, they were exceedingly amazed and saying, who then could be saved? But Jesus beheld them and said unto them, with men, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. And in a parallel passage to that in Matthew, in Mark, it gives us a very important, interesting detail in Mark 10, 21, where it says this about this man, then Jesus beholding him, loved him. It says Jesus looked on this man. He wasn't the pushback, like, you know, go sell everything, and you, I know you won't do it, so, you know. No, it was he beheld him, and he loved him. Then he said to him, one thing thou lackest, go thy well, go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come, take up thy cross, and follow me. So the Lord Jesus Christ looks at this man, and he loves him. And in love for that man's soul, the Lord Jesus Christ saw that he was still tied to the dock. He had a stern line, and he couldn't go on with God. He loved his riches more than he loved God. And then the Lord Jesus Christ saw that stern line in that man, and he brought it front and center, and he told him, untie it. And of course Abraham was attached to Isaac. I mean, he waited so long with him. As, as uh, Dave, Brother Dave was bringing out this morning in communion, this tender conversation that we've studied between Abraham the father and Isaac on the way to Mount Moriah. Of course he's attached. And just as the Lord Jesus Christ beheld the rich man and loved him and saw this stern line had to be untied, the Lord Jesus Christ beheld Abraham and, and he loved Abraham and he saw, Abraham, your stern line is still tied to Isaac, to the dock of Isaac. And so the Lord Jesus Christ, and that's, why he, that's what he meant when he said in Matthew 10, 37, he that loveth father or mother more than me, not worthy of me. He that loveth son, as in Isaac, or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. So what we did in that little boat was to turn around, see it, move back, and untie the stern line, then we sailed off. And And what the Lord Jesus Christ did when he told the rich man to sell what he had was he was telling him, turn back, untie the stern line, and then you'll be able to go on. And the solution for us to sail away from the dock was to turn around and untie the stern line. And that's what the solution was for Abraham, to be free to go on with God and receive this great blessing. He had to turn around and untie the stern line that was attached to Isaac. And what the Lord Jesus Christ did in this chapter, what Jehovah Jesus did in this chapter when he told Abraham, sacrifice Isaac, is he was telling Abraham, turn around, untie the stern line. And when Abraham raised the knife to sacrifice Isaac, Abraham had untied the stern line that was attached to Isaac, and then Abraham was free to sail on with God, and God gives him the great blessing of verses 16 and 18. By myself have I sworn, in blessing I will bless thee, and multiplying I'll multiply thy seed. So the take-home message that we have as we leave Genesis chapter 22 in this passage is that like Abraham, we need to listen to God as he identifies for us stern lines in our lives that keep us tied to this world. And as God identifies those stern lines in our lives, then we need to turn around, untie them, so as blessings can flow. And whether we think the line is big or whether we think the line is small, we need to untie them. Now, Abraham is descending from the mountain, and as it says in verse 19, so Abraham returned unto his young men, and they rose up and and went together to Beersheba, and Abraham dwelt in Beersheba. And so Abraham 
left his young men behind. And we know that because of verse 5, where it says, Abraham said unto his young men, Abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. So now we see Abraham, he's returning now. And he's going to Beersheba, and, and Abraham being a herdsman, and so he had to move his flocks around, his flocks around, because, you know, they didn't have hay deliveries from El Centro in those days. And so he had to keep on moving them around to find the grazing land. So probably they're, they're over there, you know, in, in Beersheba there, and, and, and Abraham's going to care for his flocks. And now we see in verse 20 that while Abraham is there, he receives some good news. Good news. He's going to get some bad news, but now it's good news. It's very good news. His Nahor, his, 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 his brother, Nahor's wife, has given birth to children. And in verses 21 through 22, there's a list of those children. And in particular, in particular, there's the, there's the birth of this boy. She gives birth to a name Bethuel. And, and then we see in verse 23 that this Bethuel gives birth to Rebekah. Very important person for us. Because God is going to continue the account of the line of the Messiah, of his people, through, and it's going to center on Rebekah. So these verses give us a background here. That's why they're given here. They give us a background of where did Rebekah come from? Now we know. Because God had promised Abraham, you're going to have children. First problem, Sarah doesn't have any children. Minor problem. And when Sarah dies, the boy, Isaac, he's only 37, but he's still a boy. The boy's not married. And Isaac's getting older, and he doesn't have a wife. So the question here is, has God forgotten about the need for Isaac to have a wife? I mean, at 37 years old, it's very evident that, especially when, uh, when, when the death of Sarah and so forth, Isaac is very attached to his mother. Isaac is a mama's boy. He's a Sarah's boy. He's very attached to Sarah. He probably doesn't want a wife. What do I want a wife for? I got a mother. See? And, and so it took the death of Sarah for Isaac to want a wife. And that's what it says when, 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 when finally you got Rebecca, it says he was comforted after the death of his, of his, of his mother. That's very romantic for Rebecca to hear that, but anyway. And so we need to, to remember that news travels very slowly in those days. And given that Abraham didn't have Isaac till he was about 100 years old, the fact that Rebecca, uh, it was, it was Abraham's brother's granddaughter, uh, could have put uh, Rebecca about the same age as Isaac, about the same age. And Rebecca, or, or Rivka, as her name is in, in, in Hebrew, it means captivating one or captivating beauty. And Sarah was very beautiful. But Rebecca was very beautiful. And, but, and Isaac and Rebecca, they made a great team. They had a lot in common, about the, probably about the same age. And Rebecca's father was Bethuel. Bethuel means man of God. And Abraham says, well, that's a coincidence. I mean, Isaac could say, that's a coincidence. My father Abraham was a man of God. And then Rebekah could tell Isaac, you know, boy, I got a brother you won't believe, Laban. <laughs> boy, did he give me a hard time when we played together. And Isaac would say, well, that's a coincidence. I have a brother called Ishmael. <laughs> he also gave me a hard time, you know. And Rebekah and Isaac, they were in love with each other. Great love. In, in the Bible, and, and Isaac was rare in that he never had another wife or a concubine. He was just like the dove, solely devoted to Rebekah. So why do we have this short genealogy here at the end of, of uh, Genesis 22? It's to show us the goodness of God in that he will give Rebekah to Isaac to be his wife. That's the goodness of God. That's the same God 
who said in the beginning of our book in, in uh, Genesis 1.29, Behold, I have given you every herb bearing seed, and, and that which is upon the face of the earth, and every tree, and that which is the fruit of a tree yielding seed, to you it shall be for meat. And then in Genesis 9.3, to Noah he says, Every moving thing that liveth shall be meat for you, even as the green herbs have I given you all things. It's all about giving. God gives and gives and gives. And so he's going to give Rebecca to be a wife for Isaac. And so the purpose of this short genealogy here is to show at the end of this chapter that Isaac, having been saved from death and promised to carry on the seed of the Messiah here to bless the world, but where's the wife for Isaac going to come from? So at the end of this chapter, news comes to Abraham that his, that his brother has a little granddaughter, and she's been born, and her name is Rebecca, and the news comes all the way from Syria, the little girl, and that's the wife that God has chosen for Isaac. So including this short genealogy shows how God was already working to provide a wife for Isaac all the way back there in Syria. And man wrongly thinks that God helps those who help themselves. In life, that's not the way it is. Man finds what God has put in his path. That's the way it is. And this little genealogy detail is put to show us how God takes care of us even before we ask, as it says in Isaiah 65, 24. And it shall come to pass that before they call, I will answer. And while they are yet speaking, I will hear. Now, this is important for us because it brings about a, a, a little point and that is, what is the purpose of the Bible? Now, we, here we have a short genealogy, and, and the Bible contains genealogies, but the Bible is not primarily a book of genealogy. I mean, the Bible contains science, but the Bible is not primarily a science book. The Bible contains history, but the Bible is not primarily a history book. The Bible contains biographies, but the Bible is not primarily a book of biographies. So if the Bible is not a primarily a book of genealogies or, or a science book or history or, or biographies, what is the purpose of the Bible? The purpose of the Bible is clearly stated in 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. The primary purpose of the Bible is for us. It's to give us the doctrine to show us what's right, what's wrong. It, the primary purpose of the Bible is to reprove us and to show us when we are personally wrong. The primary purpose of the Bible is to show us how to correct our ways when we go wrong, how to get right again. The primary purpose of the Bible is to instruct us in how to live a righteous life to keep us from going wrong. So the primary purpose of the Bible is to help us in our walk as believers. And when we read accounts about Abraham and God wanting to untie his stern line to earth, the purpose is for us to look at ourselves and ask the question, what stern lines do we have that we need to untie? And when we read the Bible, there, there's a repetition of certain words and phrases, and that's God saying, I, I, I think you might have missed it the first time, so I'm going to say it again. That's what's happening, because he wants to direct us to what is the point of this history. So now, we come to see in, in, in verse 1 uh, just how old Sarah was. It says Sarah was 107 and 20 years old, and these were the lives 
the years of the life of Sarah. So we see from this verse in Genesis 23:1 that Sarah was 120, 27 years old. I don't know if Sarah appreciated having her age publicized in the Bible. <laughs> but when we come to this verse, it says that that's how old she was when she died. By the way, Sarah is the only woman in the Bible whose age is stated when she died. So she can be happy for that. And um, so now we want to have, since it's about the death of Sarah, a little memorial service for Sarah. She's 107, 127 years old. Seems like a long time, doesn't it? But you, you, you and I can easily count to 127. It's, 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 in case you're interested, it's 46,355 days. And then what? She died. And, and the average life here expectancy in the U.S. is 79.8 years. It's 29,172 days. And then what? 29,172 days. Then what? He dies. And so what are the 29,172 days? So the Lord lived 33 years, almost 12,000 days, let's say, 12,000 days. 12,000 days. And then what? Then you die. And so what are these times? What were the 46,355 days of Sarah? What are the 29,172 days average life in the U.S.? What is the 12,000 days of the Lord Jesus Christ we lived on earth? Days of opportunity. That's what they are, days of opportunity. Opportunity for what? To be a child of Abraham. Opportunity to believe God like Abraham did. Opportunity to trust God like Abraham did. Opportunity to be a friend of God like Abraham was. I mean, someday we're going to die and those opportunities will be over. And as Pastor Jim used to say, there'll be a silence when we hear our name called and give an account. But Sarah took advantage of the opportunity in her life to be an example of what the Bible calls an example of holy women who lived in submission to their husbands. Peter has the best memorial statement for Sarah, where in 1 Peter 3, 5 through 6, she says, For after this manner, in the old time, the holy women also who trusted God adorn themselves being in subjection to their own husband, even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters ye are, as long as you do well, do well and are not afraid with any amazements. Any amazement. Uh, well, it could be amazements. A lot of things to be amazed at. But anyway, so, so the point is, Sarah, holy woman. Sarah, trusted in God. Sarah, in subjection to her own husband. Sarah, obeyed Abraham. Sarah, not afraid with any amazement. That was Sarah. That was also Cheryl. She was not afraid with any amazement. In the 1970s, when we started a goat antibody business, and we moved into a house on a dirt road that was essentially mud everywhere, she was not afraid with any amazements. Way overcrowded. Don, you remember, got way overcrowded with over 300 goats on less than half an acre. <laughs> way below the Department of Agricultural Standards. <laughs> baby goats in our living room, trying to keep them alive. The other baby goats we didn't take into our living room, dying in the mud. Cheryl, six months pregnant with Joshua, in the rain, soaking wet, no shelter, drawing blood from goats, and reading goat journals, trying to figure out why the goats are dying. And Joshua crying to leave the mud and go back to the city. And David wanting to know if that last meal counted as dinner or lunch. He didn't want to be cheated, you know. And Cheryl was like Sarah in that she was not afraid with any, any amazement. Am I to follow Tom? Not afraid with any amazement. 
Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional verse. Now, Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org, or you can write Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711-330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. That's S-A-N-T-E-E. Santee, California, 92071. Or you can email Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Sunday Night Church is back. Starting September 25th, join Friendship with God Bible teacher Tom Cantor at the new Friendship with God Fellowship every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Join us early each Sunday at 4.30 p.m. for food and fellowship with Sunday evening services to follow at 5.30 p.m. On opening day, September 25th, we'll have Phil's Barbecue with special guest musician Jim Earp. Enjoy encouraging teaching from our Bible teacher Tom Cantor in a relaxed and family-friendly atmosphere. Sunday Night Church is back, so join us at the Friendship with God Fellowship every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum at 10946 Woodside Avenue North in Santee, California. For more information, call us at 800-247-3051, 1-800-247-3051, or visit friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org for the Friendship with God Fellowship. <laughs> 